Welcome to the Business of Psychology podcast, the show that helps you to reach more people, help more people, and build the life you want to live by doing more than therapy. Before we dive into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know about a five-day challenge we're running to help you get your first or best blog post out of your head and into the world so that you can help the people that need you. If you've ever stared at a blank screen, watching the cursor blink at you mockingly, or if you've ever battled with an inner critic that thinks you don't have anything interesting to say, or if you've ever written a blog but nobody's actually read it, which really, really hurts, the five-day challenge will get you tapping away, confident in the knowledge that your content will reach people and help them. Over five days, we will choose a blog topic and title that people are actually searching for, Plan a blog that will engage and educate your readers. Write that blog in under one hour and publish the blog and track its progress. You'll get daily tasks and actions to take, including walkthrough videos. And I'll be hosting a Q&A every evening in our pop-up Facebook group. There'll also be competitions and giveaways to keep your motivation high. If that sounds good, then click on the link in the show notes to sign up. The challenge starts on Monday, October the 19th, and that's 2020. So make sure you sign up now if you don't want to miss out. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Rebecca Shawcross, a clinical psychologist, researcher and feminist who specialises in gender, violence and mental health. Becca is involved in research and projects that emphasise social issues and systems of oppression, such as patriarchy, systemic racism and anti-LGBTQ plus prejudice and how these impact on mental health. Today, we're going to be talking about feminist therapy and the feminist therapy centre that Becca has set up. Becca's passion slash fire for this subject really shines through in her social media. So I'm really excited to talk to you about this today, Becca. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So shall we start with the basics and can you let us know what you mean specifically by feminist therapy and a little intro to the work of the Feminist Therapy Centre? Yeah, sure. So feminist therapy is a theoretical model and its aim really is to bring into consciousness um, the systems of oppression that affect people day to day. Um, So, you know, systems of oppression work um, by people internalising them. So what actually starts to happen is people internalise the messages of the patriarchy or of systemic racism, and they actually start to believe some of the narratives that are out there. And then that kind of leads to people um, almost self-oppressing and without kind of realising it and and maybe kind of holding people to those those unhelpful narratives as well. So one of the first things is around bringing into consciousness um, these systems and how they affect us. And then really feminist therapy is concerned with um, the liberation and empowerment um, of of everybody by looking again at how they are oppressed and how they can regain their personal power, but also on a social level. So how do we empower people socially as well? So it seems like it's really bringing together unconscious processes and social structures and looking at the interplay between the two and how our social structures maybe inform our unconscious processes. Yes, absolutely. And kind of within the framework of feminist therapy, um, you know, lots of models can be used. So you can be using kind of like ACT or compassionate um, focused therapy um, or CBT. You know, you can be using all of these kind of skills that we have as psychologists um, to be um, adhering to that kind of overarching feminist message of empowerment and liberation and bringing into consciousness. Okay. So I think from what you've already said, my mind is already whirring and thinking of various ways that have entered my life, that the Mm. patriarchy has had a bit of an impact. Um, But, you know, what are some of the most common ways that you see in your practice that patriarchy has affected mental health? 
Mm-hmm. Well, so I think um, patriarch, like so, patriarchy affects everybody, um, regardless of of gender. Um, but it also has, you know, benefits if if you um, if you adhere to kind of gender norms. Mm. Um, but if we kind of focus specifically on women, um, I predominantly see women within um, my practice, and you know the ways that um, women are affected by the patriarchy is you know, often around internalising narratives of kind of the good girl or the good wife and what that means, you know, um, if we think about like what little girls are taught, it's often around kind of sit still, be quiet, you know, don't be too much, don't be too loud, don't be too sexy, don't be too successful. Um, And, you know, you kind of see um, those narratives in the way that people um, think about themselves and think about the world. Um, So often um, in kind of heteronormative narratives, we see this kind of like um, within motherhood and within being a female partner to a male partner, a lot around sort of self-sacrifice, putting, you know, your partner's needs above your own putting your children's needs above your own um really like being unable to express some big feelings so anger is a really difficult feeling um that women struggle to express um and and so we kind of stop being able to know our feelings so we kind of might maybe when we're little we get told you know, don't, don't cry, like you're all right. Um, And we sort of start to internalise, like we don't, we can't really trust our feelings. We can't really trust ourselves. We're not allowed to be our true selves. We're not allowed to be too loud. We're not allowed to be too messy um, or whatever it is. And we start to kind of um, not really be able to understand our own desires, our own needs, our own wants. Um, And so lots of women might kind of come into um, a therapy setting and maybe you know they have feelings of depression or anxiety but often there's like I can't quite put my finger on exactly what it is you know there's something wrong with me Um, and so yeah this is how it can kind of present um, in the in the women that I see and of course when we to motherhood as well that's an extra layer that um presents in in kind of therapy as taking on the domestic load all the unseen labor the emotional labor being the one that kind of is uh remembering when the kids need to do what reading all the parenting books you know if you're breastfeeding you're the one kind of doing all the feeds and this kind of carries over so then you kind of maybe you go back to work and you're still doing all of the things at home and working and sort of the the imbalance within relationships I see it um become exacerbated when children enter the picture and so yeah that's that's women carrying a lot of work that is unpaid undervalued and unseen and that all has repercussions for people's mental health yeah I mean I'm nodding ridiculously furiously (laughs) yeah (laughs) um as a as a mum and a a mum with a husband with a very traditional role which means that he's not here to do childcare. Mm -hmm. I think on a personal level I really relate to that and I think the word that resonates the most strongly is the unseen bit Mm -hmm. because it's almost like if people were aware of it that would be the first step in redressing the balance but Mm -hmm. certainly a lot of women that I work with and you know i would include myself in this you don't even see it because you so deeply expect it of yourself yeah yeah exactly yeah and often the problems seem to come when well people become aware that there is a problem when for some reason they're not able to do it all anymore Mm -hmm. um so I'm thinking particularly about clients I've seen recently who might be diagnosed with physical health problems or they might be Mm non-neurotypical And, you know, for 
various reasons, they're not able anymore to keep all of the information in their heads and run the household at the same time as going out to work and and doing all of that. And that's when finally these things come to light. Mm -hmm. But actually, they've never been okay. Mm -hmm. It's just been unseen for all of that time. Yeah, yeah. And that's what that's what the kind of bringing it into the consciousness um, of of just everything that is expected the expectations on women um and there's a great book called fair play by eve rodsky and that is really around um it she's basically devised a game uh and it has on the cards it has like all of the tasks that are required to run a household with kids so like uh, pets, you know, garden, uh, house, or everything really, and it, it's it, it it's devised into a game so that you can play it with your partner and actually really look at it and see who's doing what, and you know maybe where the balance needs to be readdressed. And that, I think that's a really um, it's a great way to do it because she if she also has a book around it and it, it's very much. Um, I think some people don't know how to bring this up, don't know how to talk to um, partners around it without kind of feeling like quite blaming of it. Mm. And there's, you know, there is a certain amount of responsibility that you need to take or accountability that you need to take around like just if you are doing it all and you don't ask for help and you um, want it maybe done in a very particular way. You know, there's a lot of that in the book around some of the ways that, again it's that kind of self-oppression of having to do it all ourselves why do we have to do that where does that message come from um why can't we pass things on to other people so I I really recommend that book to people that really do struggle with the balance um of unseen emotional um and domestic load yeah that sounds like a fantastic resource and Mm. uh, like in the right context it could also be sort of fun (laughs) yeah yeah that's the idea I think yeah um, but I, I think it is important there that, you know, you mentioned earlier that there is a benefit if you can conform to this stuff, uh, if you can conform to the gender stereotypes, and you do benefit from that in some ways. Mm-hmm. And I think whenever there's a change, there's a loss. And often in therapy, that's one of the things we have to address, isn't it? So if you give up this identity as the good girl and the good wife, there's a loss with that as well as a huge amount to be gained yeah um so yeah I'm I'm automatically going down like the therapy (laughs) (laughs) no no that's really true that's really true and I think you know when we're thinking about systems of oppression um you know um there's a um anti-racist educator called um Ravideep Kaur and she talks around how, you know, obviously um, systemic racism affects um, black people and brown people, but there's also, you know, by the nature of being an an oppressor, someone who is able to oppress another human being, there is also a dehumanisation of that person as well. And that's, so when we talk about it being negative for everyone, that's what we mean. And so, Um, as you know as a white person or as a man when you are um, sort of doing the work the undoing work um, there is yeah you have to kind of let go of the things that you that you benefit from the patriarchy or you benefit from um, systemic racism but you 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 also gain because you you know you no longer have to be a person who needs to dehumanize someone else in order to feel um good about themselves or to get what they want and so yeah it's a real you know it is it's it's a complex issue but overall um you know what what we give up in relation to that um is is best for all and it's tricky because because for men or for white people you're you're giving up um power that you've had and so yeah, that feels difficult, but it's absolutely necessary. Mm. So in the Feminist Therapy Centre, what are the main ways that you help people? 
Well, so the Feminist Therapy Centre is relatively new, so I'm actually launching next week. Um, oh, exciting! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you'll notice that um, uh, currently I'm at Mama Feminologist on Instagram. Mm. So I'm kind of changing and rebranding into the Feminist Therapy Centre because I think it reflects more what I do now. So that handle has been with me for a little while, and initially when I set up. That was around, you know, like I was sharing around my motherhood and my feminism and my psychology. And I share less around my own personal motherhood now. And it is much more become a uh, the therapy business account. Um, so currently the main ways that the main services that I offer are one to one therapy. But um what my re- what my aim is really is to kind of make a lot of this stuff more accessible to people because one to one therapy um in 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 the kind of independent psychology practices is expensive and it's definitely not accessible um to uh, lots of people but I think you know by using having free resources via kind of social media and then I'm hoping to kind of run courses around patriarchy, how it might show up in, in people's lives and what kind of what areas they might want to think about in terms of that consciousness bringing, in terms of that liberation and empowerment. Um, and so that's what I'm kind of hoping to offer. And I suppose in the future, I envisage um, having some form of training for therapists as well who want to know more about working from a feminist therapy model um and so yeah it's really really at the very beginnings um so but it would also be great to hear you know what other people want from from this um service because I really do hope that it will feel more um yeah more of a community I suppose so that would also be really good you know to be able to hear from what what other people might find useful from the service. Yeah I mean I think personally one of the difficulties that I come across talking about uh, patriarchy with my clients because again I think in a similar situation because I work in perinatal I work with a lot of parents I do predominantly see women Mm. um, is that it, it all sounds very academic and a bit intimidating actually Mm. and you know it's probably a lack of skill on my part actually explaining it um to people but I think it can start to because it's out of the comfort zone and it's making you question stuff which feels very integral I think it's hard for people and any resources that you could create that make it kind of this is what it looks like in your day-to-day life this is how you can see patriarchy I think that would be so so valuable um and a really exciting project yeah yeah absolutely and there are some books out there that are more accessible so um one in particular is patriarchy stress disorder um by Valerie Ren, Dr. Valerie Wren and um but yes exactly like that's it isn't it we're sort of I mean it's almost like a dirty word isn't it feminism and patriarchy like people yep. really recoil from it and that's part of the patriarchy right if we if we uh, ridicule feminists if we you know say that there's no longer any problems um then we you know the people saying that retain the power it, it really undermines the um, message of the feminist movement um, and so you can see why that narrative has been created around you know around who a feminist is and what it means and that it's man-hating and I you know I hear that quite a lot and it and it I think certainly within clinical psychology you know one of the reasons that I started this centre was I looked at my my therapy books and they were all written bar one they were all written by white men and I was like well how how are we in this situation where all of the knowledge is coming from us you know one particular demographic of people and where are all the black voices where are all the differently abled voices where are all you know the queer voices and um 
that's really what started me thinking just about how we're not taught this on well I certainly wasn't taught this on my clinical um training so yeah it's it's really I think it's really needed to have some accessible way of continuing to kind of get the message out there but also for for our um, training and for the profession generally to be reading more widely to be looking at our bookcases and saying you know what's on there who am I reading where am I getting my knowledge from who do I who do I think is worth getting the knowledge from and who am I like no that's you know that's not good enough knowledge um because that's also you know a problem within within the clinical psychology field and many other fields but yeah yeah I mean that um I remember actually asking that question at undergraduate um because I did my undergraduate with the open university this is not like I was a particularly enlightened 18 year old (laughs) (laughs) I was already kind of in the world of work and I asked um my supervisor at the time kind of oh why are all of the books um written by white men because this doesn't seem very representative and we were doing a critical social psychology module (laughs) and and, um, what they said to me was oh it's because all of these studies were done at a time where universities were only really open to men so it's just reflective of the past it will change in 20 years it will be different but Mm -hmm. I don't know how long we can use that excuse for (laughs) because you know, are we really saying that all the research that we use was done in the 50s? Because I don't think that's true. Mm. Um, I think we still have a big problem with prioritisation of certain voices and certain methods of research which are more likely to be adopted by certain people. Mm. Um, And yeah, I think it's really valuable to bring that to the forefront and we all need reminders of it. Um, And that's one of the things actually I'm trying to do with the Do More Than Therapy book club is make sure that every book we choose is foregrounding a slightly different um, Mm -hmm. type of voice. Um, And it's a balance. And I think if we don't pay attention to it, we slip back into the comfortable, although not very nice, patriarchy. Yeah. Um, Yeah, exactly. And that's it, isn't it? The familiar is is safe. If we're thinking about... Yeah, that's that's why people kind of do get stuck in 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 certain ways of being um, because the familiar is safe, or it's it's experienced as safer than change, um, even even when it's not. Um, and so yeah, and there's and there's a lot. I mean, it's almost like a, another podcast really about about research and you know who's funding the research and who are the professors at the top who are dictating what research gets done you know there's a huge problem with um diversity and inclusion within university settings as well so it really this really it really spans a lot of different institutes Mm. out of interest so I didn't plan to ask you about this at all but I'm just really curious Mm. Um, (laughs) what, what do you think of um degrees that are called things like women's studies because Mm. I have always been a bit uncomfortable with that because it kind of makes it sound like a niche issue when we're actually over half of the population Mm. Um, and that troubles me but I don't know whether I'm alone with that or yeah yeah oh it's I've never really thought about it to be honest I think that there's a there's you know, within, certainly within feminist therapy, and that is developing just all of the time, really, as as our consciousness develops, and as we understand more, and as we become more inclusive of different voices, and I think that um, perhaps women's studies maybe now doesn't feel inclusive enough, Mm. Um, because when we are thinking you know when we're thinking about who is marginalized by the patriarchy it's not just women um it's trans people and it's um gender non-conforming people and so you know it's from people who identify with any um gender that's outside of kind of what the patriarchy deems as acceptable and so i think probably 
um it may be that those kind of uh titles for courses change as our understanding changes and as we become more inclusive in in the way that we are yeah talking about these issues because it's feminism is certainly um you know not devoid of its own problems with you know with exclusivity um especially around trans women and especially around black women and brown women so it is something that you know we all need to be conscious of and be doing the work to unlearn you know the narratives that we have just taken on and taken into our psyche around um what is and isn't acceptable within the patriarchal system Mm, yeah I think that kind of leads on to a point that I wanted to ask you about today because I've been reading uh, Leila Efsad's book Me and White Supremacy Mm -hmm. and that she talks a little bit about the history of the feminist movement and how um, that intersectionality hasn't been addressed and actually at times black and brown women have been really marginalized within the movement Um, and she's pretty critical and I was just thinking about asking you how you're repairing and addressing that in mm. your work today within feminist therapy. Yeah, yeah. And it's such a critical question. And I think it's, you know, it's something that everyone needs to be asking themselves. And in particular, I think clinical psychology, because we are working with these systems, even if we're not conscious of it and we're not bringing it to the therapy room, um, we are working with these systems Um And so, yeah, it's been something that I have been trying to become more conscious of. And the way that I um, am currently addressing it, but of course it will develop and evolve as I learn more and go forward, is around doing my own anti-racism work. So I currently am about halfway through Nova Reed's um course on racism and um white uh, supremacy um and she is a anti-racism educator and you can find her on instagram and she has several different courses and that is really you know that um is a taught course and it's i think it's designed to be kind of a year-long course And it really goes into lots of detail and there's lots of homework and there's lots of reflecting and journaling um, um, within that course. Um, And I really would recommend that. I think that that, you know, if people are looking for kind of CPD to do around anti-racism work, then there are several courses and and they're all slightly different, but beginning to see this work as important and worth investing in. Mm. um particularly you know paying black and brown women for their for their education around this is really important so that's one of the things that I'm doing and um you know I um I'm hoping to have um so I have obviously a clinical supervisor but I'm hoping to have a a supervisory kind of mentoring relationship with an anti-racist educator um, for the feminist therapy center in order to make sure or not make sure because you know like it's all about reflecting isn't it and trying to always be conscious of and hold yourself accountable for um but to to um enable me to have somebody who I can reflect with about the work that we're doing and trying to um be as inclusive as possible and to be thinking about um anti-racism right at the core of this um center and so um that relationship isn't confirmed yet but if if it's confirmed by the time this goes out then i will let you know who that's going to be um so so yeah and and i think it's really about I engage in these conversations and I um, listen to people and I read widely um, and I engage with the clinical psychology community about what are we doing to um, address the systemic racism that is within 
the profession you know it's not a question of whether it's in the profession it is it's it's ingrained within the profession and so um i am working with a, a group of other clinical psychologists to think about how we make changes there particularly within the british psychological society so yeah lots of lots of work that's ongoing and um again it's something that i'm relatively new to i would say this is within the last year that that I've been conscious of this and um, doing this work, but it's certainly something that I would be encouraging everyone who's working within the profession and listening to this podcast to, to think about as well themselves. And um, there's lots and lots of free resources, but it's also important, I think, to yeah pay people for their input and um, their knowledge and their wisdom. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, what I'm, hearing from that is that you're doing a lot and you're putting a lot of energy and investing in financial but also in uh, energetic terms in doing this work mm. and that's yeah something I think we all need to be making ourselves do mm. I think I hear kind of too often um, and I include myself in this completely oh, I really want to do that course but I haven't got time or I really want to do that course but it's 250 quid who's got that mm. And it's like, well, actually, we're paid for our work, um, whether we're employed or whether we're self-employed. And, you know, giving some of that investment back to people mm. that can help us really unlock this stuff. And it, it feels like that when you're in it, when you're doing the work, it does feel a bit like unlocking aspects of your unconscious that you weren't aware of and seeing things that you just didn't see before because we kind of... In, terms of racism have the privilege sometimes not to see them mm. um yeah i mean it's a lot of big work and you've gone headlong into it <laughs> um, <laughs> so what do you think sort of sparked you as a person to want to work in this area of psychology rather than an easier one <laughs> yeah i don't really so i don't really um I don't feel it would be easier to work in another area. This is my, this is the thing, right? It's about finding your passion, isn't it? And my word, there's like so many ways that patriarchy has shown up in my life. And I think that is, that's the, that's like the setting stones, isn't it? You know, like when you think, when I reflect now and I look back on my life and I look back at like, um, you know, at points being really, really unhappy with my body and how I looked. Like I had cosmetic surgery at the age of 25. Like I paid such a large amount of money for that. Um, and there's just so many other instances like getting married young when I knew that I didn't really want to and I did it anyway because that's what everyone was doing. We're so not taught to question our own um desires and when we're we're not really given a lot of role models for how to do it differently if we want to so I think if you want some of these things that are kind of more mainstream um then that's fine and it works really well for you and you might you know you might not experience distress um at at kind of following certain routes but if you if it's not what you want and you kind of you're just not used to kind of connecting with your desires and then following through with your desires. That's when, you know, you can become really, your mental health can really start to suffer. And, and certainly within my marriage that happened and I was, you know, I did find the way to leave and I was divorced by 32. But, you know, all of these narratives are quite, um, even now, like I can feel almost like, the stigma attached to them um and I think lots of people have very unhelpful ways of coping you know through alcohol through drugs certainly kind of um when things are really when you feel very stuck in in certain situations and you know for myself like I'm queer and I'm bisexual and I've never really um put that out there very much I'm in a relationship with with a man and I was 
brought up in religious households. So, you know, this is really something that I have struggled with personally in lots of areas because I've really felt an a, a sort of paralyzation as to, as to how to move outside of these these norms and these structures that we are told are the way to go um and and again I think for me I was in academia I've been in academia all my life I've been that good girl you know really good grades really well at school um and 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 then again just feeling really stuck and so part of um for me, the real journey to the feminist therapy center started when I became a mom. And these systems, you know, working in academia, working within research institutions, they no longer served me. It was it it's, you know, the competition, the working of extra hours, the never having a permanent contract, um, all of those things that I'm sure lots of people listening might resonate with, whether you're sat within academia or sat within an NHS contract or whatever it is, you know, when we're in these systems, these systems are not designed to work for um, for mothers, you know, for parents in general. Like it, they have such an inflexibility about them. And so I left and now I feel like yeah I'm like deep in this birthing process of the feminist therapy center um and it feels really scary and it's it is really scary and I think that that's something I also want to kind of like um make clear is that stepping outside of this stepping outside of what of what you think you should do um, and following what you want to do sounds so simple right but it's not it's really hard and it feels scary but it feels exciting at the same time and um yeah and you have to challenge a lot there's a lot of mindset shifts I think you talked a bit about that in your podcast as well Rosie like mindset shifts that really help with this you know questioning where that comes from, where do we limit ourselves and how we think about what is and isn't possible for us. And yeah, that's the like engaging with um, business coaching and coaches has been really, really helpful for me in those mindset shifts and just starting this whole process. Mm, yeah, I think we've had a similar story there because one of the reasons I'm so passionate about mindset and that I made that the first course I ever did for Doom One Therapy members is that if you wait until it feels like the right time, it's never, you're never going to take any action. Yeah. Um, so it really is about tuning into your values. What do you actually care about? What legacy do you want to leave in this world? Mm. And then taking a step, even though it's probably going to feel awful, especially <laughs> if you are stepping outside of the structures, um, like patriarchy, for example, if you're doing something that doesn't fall within the narratives that you've been given yeah um, never going to feel good uh, but it brings a level of fulfillment that I don't think you can get without doing that mm. Mm. and there's um there's there's someone I follow on Instagram called Florence Given and she was talking a bit about how self-love feels in the moment when you're doing it it feels uncomfortable it feels scary like it feels horrible um but in the long run, it feels really good. And I think that that, you know, that's, we're so used to kind of making decisions that feel good in the short term, that feel good to us and safe and um, secure in the short term. But in the long term, you know, you're right. You're not making that step. You're not working towards what your, that, I love that, what your values are, like being able to work with what your values are and what legacy you want to lead, leave. That is, um, that's such a good feeling in the long run isn't it but it's yeah those uncomfortable small steps that you have to take in the immediate that um yeah that I guess that's what stops a lot of people but again it's about bringing that to the consciousness which is exactly what your course is doing for people to help move them into that like long-term gain mm. and then once you're aware of it you've got to take some action it sounds like um getting a business coach was helpful for you can you talk a little bit more about why that was helpful yeah so um I um 
the first business coach that I worked with was someone called Tessa Clark um, and she is on Instagram. I think it's Tess Business. I will send you the handle. And she, yeah, so she just offered, she basically offered me, she was starting out and she offered me some free sessions and it was so, so helpful. She was also um, a breastfeeding mom. So we would Zoom like both feeding our toddlers, <laughs> um, which was really nice. And I think, again, it just made me think like, this is what, this is what business can look like, right? Two breastfeeding mums on Zoom. It doesn't have to be all suits or whatever um but she just had some uh you know she just had strategies like thinking about um accountability thinking about where you want to be in three months time setting goals like all stuff that um I hadn't really I guess it, they're not like super new to me but like just putting someone putting those ideas in front of me really helped and then um and then, you know, similarly to the um, anti-racism work that I'm doing, it's about investment, isn't it? So, so there is a mind shift in, in, in being like, I need to invest in this because it gives me this outcome and it's worth it and I'm worth it and the business is worth it and the people that I serve are worth it. And so I um, invested in a course with um, someone called Lucy Sheridan, um and she is a business coach and it was really it was a two-week long course and it was really um transformative in terms of being like you know I went from doing that course to being like okay I'm gonna have my notice in pretty quickly um so and I think a lot of that is just it's around having someone that is saying you can totally do this and here's you know here's some ways to do it but a lot of it is 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 shifting of that mindset Mm. um and then of course there's other people that have been really instrumental so I work as part of the psychology collective um which is run by mumologist Emma Svanberg um and being part of that collective again is part you know being part of a community of women who all run their own uh, therapy businesses and um, having that support really and knowledge you know a bit of a collective um, mind to to feel like you've got somebody to go and ask um, and then you know having a partner that's like yeah go for it you know I'm I'm behind you 100% and that I would stress that's not absolutely necessary you, you can do this without having that but it does obviously make it a lot easier if you've got someone that's got your back. Um, but yeah, you can also do this mind shift work without that. Um, it's just perhaps a little bit harder. Yeah. I mean, I think what is crucial is connection. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be with a partner, but I think what you mentioned about having other psychologists around you and building yourself that network that was the game changer for me as well. I think I had to do the mindset work to get comfortable with the idea of reaching out to anybody. Um, So I kind of did my mindset stuff in a silo for a while. Um, And then I got to the point where I was like, you know what, I'm going to start telling people what I'm doing. and Mm. I'm not going to be afraid of the judgment of other psychologists. I'm just going to reach out. And when I did that, everything changed. And suddenly like you're more creative, you feel more capable yeah it it just transforms a business I think yeah yeah definitely and and it's that balance isn't it between like doing your own work working on yourself and then putting it out there and connecting with others and that sort of dance between that but I think as as psychologists generally we uh (laughs) we're kind of often people that worry about what people think quite a lot so um a lot of yeah our own stuff going on there which I think is really crucial to work through yeah definitely definitely and I think the fear of other psychologists is something Mm. that um, (laughs) the members in doing women therapy we talk about that quite a lot because um I think you know we can be a judgmental group and actually if if you are judging other people you're going to judge yourself yeah it creates this whole kind of mindset of like oh I'm going to do this project but I'm not really going to tell anybody that I'm doing it and hopefully I'll reach the people that I want to help without any other psychologist ever knowing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, um, everyone's so supportive, right? So it's a lot of this stuff is in our, I mean, yeah, it's not always that are people that will judge you, but there's that, there's that really like, there's that meme, isn't there, that goes around and it's a bit like, you're going to be judged if you do and you'll be judged if you don't. So just do what you just got to do what you want to do, um, which I, I really hold on to that quite a lot because you're never going to, not everyone is going to like you. Not everyone's going to like what you do. Um, and I think, again, as women, we've really been taught not to not to speak our minds and not to, to say what we think. And so that can really feel uncomfortable when we're like, actually, this is how I see it. These, this is this is what I think about it. And this is the way I'm going to address that. Um, and just practicing that is, is really, you know, again, it feels really uncomfortable, but it gets easier. And it also allows you to kind of feel like you are doing things authentically, which can also, of course, really help with with mental health and how we yeah, feel about ourselves in the world. Mm. Yeah, I think that's really, really important. So I'm aware I've taken up quite a lot of your time already, um, but I've got a couple of selfish questions I always ask at the end of podcast episodes, if that's all right. <laughs> yeah. um, so firstly, what two action steps would you want other psychologists and therapists listening to this to go away and do? Yeah, yeah, I think um, I think we probably talked a little bit about it already, but I think it is around reading around feminist therapy, you know, not just being like, oh, that's not for me, because a lot, you know, some of the things that we do within a, a practice anyway, getting fully informed consent, those things originate from feminist therapy practice. And so um, it's been subsumed into the mainstream psychology, but that's where it that's where that came from. Um so read, you know, reading around feminist therapy, but reading more widely as well. Like look, like I said before, like look at your bookshelf. Who who are the authors on your bookshelf? Um, you know, make sure you're reading women authors, trans authors, black authors, brown authors, queer authors, differently abled authors. You know, um, and n- making sure that it's not just one particular group that you're reading. Um, and you know within that I suppose what it's important to do is to start to look at your privilege and question your privilege and start doing your own work around how you maybe uphold oppressive systems or how you benefit from oppressive systems and how you can contribute to the dismantling of those systems and then, you know, putting into practice what you learn for yourself and for your clients. You know, this is, we are here to serve our clients. And I think that the the knowledge around these systems is so, so important. And if we don't acknowledge it and we're not addressing it, then, you know, how, how effectively we can be helping our clients I would be calling that into question so I think as well you know it's for yourself and it's for the people that you serve okay that's some good practical stuff for us to go away and do so thank you for that um so lastly then another ridiculously selfish thing um, (laughs) to ask you but if I could get anybody to come on this podcast and I do I am quite ambitious I will ask people yeah (laughs) who would you want me to try and get on Oh, do you know, I really struggle to like pick one person, but I would say like uh, anyone from the psychology collective that I work with, all doing really different and really interesting stuff. Um, and and, and, a, and like business, co- I find business coaching or coaching, life coaching in general, it's been such a fascinating area for me and it's really hit home for me and I think you know perhaps like Lucy or Tessa um, would be really great guests but there's yeah but then there's also another coach that I really really hope that I work with in the future called Africa Book um, and she would be amazing to have on so yeah just lots of amazing women really there for you to choose from and I shall try and chase them all. I actually think <laughs> that I used to be in a group with Lucy, Lucy Sheridan. Oh, really? I think so. So I think I might actually be able to track her down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and um, they're all on Instagram, like 
that's my main source of information. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you so much. I think you've shared a lot of really thought-provoking material for us there. Um, and I'm sure lots of people are going to want to connect with you and follow your journey with the Feminist Therapy Centre. Mm-hmm. So where is the best place for people to find you? So um, depending when this goes out, I used to be at Mama Feminologist on Instagram, but I will be changing to my name. So at Dr. Rebecca Shawcross um, on like the middle of September. And I will also be launching my um, website, the middle of September, which is the feministtherapycenter.co.uk. And so those will be the main uh, ways that you can kind of find out more and contact me as well. Fantastic. So I'll put all of those links in the show notes for everybody who will be flooding to ask you more questions, probably. Um, And I'll definitely be keeping my eyes out for the training that you're developing. Thank you. Brilliant. It's been really, really lovely to speak to you. Yeah, you too. If that episode has got you fired up to start reaching more people with your work, I just wanted to let you know about a five-day challenge we're running to help you get your first or best blog post out of your head and into the world so that you can help the people that need you. If you've ever stared at a blank screen, watching that cursor blinking at you mockingly, or if you've ever battled with an inner critic that thinks you don't have anything interesting to say, or if you've ever written a blog but nobody has actually read it, which is seriously painful, the five-day challenge will get you tapping away confident in the knowledge that your content will reach people and will help them. Over five days, we will choose a blog topic and title that people are actually searching for, plan a blog that will engage and educate your readers, write that blog in under an hour, which is possible, I promise, and publish the blog and track its progress. You'll get daily tasks and actions to take, including walkthrough videos, and there'll be a Q&A every evening with me in our pop-up Facebook group. If that sounds good, then click the link in the show notes to sign up. The challenge starts on Monday the 19th of October 2020, so make sure you sign up now if you don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Business of Psychology podcast. If you share my passion for doing more than therapy, then make sure you come over and join my free Do More Than Therapy Facebook community, where you can work on getting your big ideas off the ground with like-minded psychologists and therapists. I'd also love it if you could leave this show a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It will help more of the people who need it to find it. See you next week for more tips and inspirational stories to help you do more than therapy.